We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand-addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers, other merch, just uh, visit our Patreon. We are Womance on Patreon, or is it patreon.com forward slash Womance? We would be very proud to call you one of our patrons. We made it. Post-Jesus. In the common reckoning. This is Womance, a podcast about romance novels, etc., etc. I am your co-host, Morgan, and I'm joined by my friend. And other co-host, Isabel. This is our year in review. What, 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 what? Isabel, how is 2023, if you could sum it up in a word... Fast? Interesting. In one word, fast. How would you sum it up in one word? Full. Mm. It was a little bit of a busy one for me. Mm-hmm. It was very busy for you. Yeah. So I think I would like to start off our year in review by just quickly listing out all of the books that we discussed on the podcast, new content in 2023. What do you think? I would really appreciate that. And then we'll share some superlatives for our content Mm -hmm. this year and some interesting data points and we'll set some goals for the future, some resolutions. And we'll see how our resolutions, how we met our resolutions from last year. The first book we read in 2023 Mm -hmm. was Rose in Winter by Kathleen Woodywis. We then began our mm. fanfictuary series with Rough Magic by Gondol's Queen, which is a Castlevania fanfiction that we found on AO3, um, The Love Hypothesis by Allie mm-hmm. Hazelwood, and then Here's a Pencil, Make It Work mm. by Ignatius Trout was our audience choice. We then read the mafia romance Twisted Pride by Cora Riley. That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon by Kimberly Lemming inspired us to go on our own Renaissance Fair trip. Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. The Darkness Outside Us by Elliot Schreffer. Arguably, maybe not a romance. Definitely a YA. Then we joined our friend Andrea at Shelf Love to talk about Dreaming of You by Lisa Clayfus. Then The Astronaut in the Star by Jen Comfort. A Court of Wings and Ruin by Sarah J. Moss. The Deal by L. Kennedy, viral enough to make it onto our show. To Have and to Hold by Patricia Gaffney. Well Met by Jen DeLuca. Jinxed by Tori Heat. 
The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon. We then revisited our friend Andrea at Shelf Love to discuss Lady of the West by Linda Howard. And then we finish up the year with two holiday stories. Oh boy, this title's on Christmas Masquerade, A Pride and Prejudice Intimate Variation by Vivian Norville, and then Across A Court of Frost and Starlight by Sarah J. Moss. Is that 17 books? It's 19 books. One more than last year. <laughs> We're just a growing. <laughs> Um, I've seen a lot of people who've read like a hundred books this year. I have seen those humans as well. Yeah, I myself, I, I have read more than just the books we've read for the podcast, but I, um, I haven't read a hundred, I don't think. I don't think so either. For me personally, I know I haven't read more than, since we've read 19, I, I would probably guess that I've read 25. It's hard to read when you are raising a young human. Ugh, you always use her as an excuse. I do, and I'm going to continue to do that for a while. So hope it's evergreen, listeners. <laughs> All right. So, Isabel, what's our first superlative? Morgan, what was your hardest woe? What's the woe that you would continually recommend for this year to next year and as many years in the future as you want to forecast? Well, this was hard for me. This um, was between two. To Have and to Hold by Patricia Gaffney and The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon. But I think Undertaking of Heart and Mercy edges out the competition for me this year. It was such a pleasant surprise. I loved um, both the audiobook and, you know, I read, I have the physical copy as well. Um, it was a surprise, a delight. It was like nothing else I've read before. Uh, in the romance genre. And so for me, it's my hardest woe. What about you? Mm-hmm. Honestly, same. Undertaking of Heart and Mercy? Undertaking of Heart and Mercy. And I think the thing that does it for me is the surprise factor, how well written it was, how good the world building is, and how graceful her writing is in trusting us, the reader, um, and never loses sight of the romance that's building. And it's epistolatory. Like, pff, checks my boxes. Yeah, it seems to understand the core of what it's referencing, but doesn't allow it, which is, um, you know, the you've got mail shop around the corner story, but it doesn't allow itself to get uh, too constricted by that. Mm-hmm. Or subsumed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you had to guess, what do you think the Goodreads score for the undertaking of Heart and Mercy is? It's a crime if it's not 4.99. It's 4.12. That's disgusting. <laughs> Goodreads is bullshit. And I knew that before you told me that information. That just confirms my feelings about Goodreads. Who Goodread bombed that amazing book? And who needs to have their contract canceled? <laughs> Uh, what do you think the highest, the, the book with the highest score on Goodreads that we read this year is? It's probably going to make me mad, but I'm going to go ahead and guess The Deal. You are not correct. Okay. The Deal had a 4.24, so it still edges out Heart and Mercy. Crime. That's a crime. But our highest rated reading on Goodreads is A Court of Wings and Ruin at 4.46. Couldn't even get that 4.5. That's... So silly. It's also quite good. Do any of Akutar have four point five? I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure what they have. What Akutar has doesn't matter. 
I just think it's interesting. I feel like looking at these numbers on Goodreads, they all are, feel kind of low mm. given how many woes you and I handed out this year. We gave out a ton. We really did. We really, really did. <laughs> so it's strange to think that like Goodreads is getting meaner and we're getting softer. It is weird to think that. What was your softest woe? The woe that you don't want to take back, mm. but you're not sure how you feel about it. I'm probably Twisted Pride by Cora Riley. Okay. I, I think it was a soft woe at the time, and I, I stand by my soft woe. Yeah. <laughs> this was our attempt at reading a taboo romance, mm-hmm. a mafia romance, which is kind of become a pretty powerful contingent i think in romance publishing um and i gave it a woe because i i had a lot of fun reading it uh it was unput downable for me mm-hmm. compared to when i look at the list of books we read that i gave mostly woes to that one is kind of like eh. and you gave it a no actually i sure did i, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that to folk um yeah the mafia romance part I, I wouldn't say that it's not my tipple. Like, I, I would definitely revisit that genre for the podcast. I probably wouldn't, like, buy it on my own. I, I thought that was an especially fun romp. But, yeah, it was. It had a lot of weird stuff going on. <laughs> a lot of blood and gore thrown at the wall. Yeah, I thought it brought up a lot of really good questions about the kinds of violence we find acceptable because like on the heels of twisted pride we then read the time i got drunk with a demon and we had a really good i thought um formative discussion about like the difference between fantasy violence and like fantasy violence in the mafia world which is also fantasy violence but like not like a demon or a dragon yeah what makes something cartoonish what makes something feel like a giant uh mallet whacking bugs bunny versus gutting someone in a shower. <laughs> yeah, those, yeah. Di- those key differences. What about you? What was your softest woe? I would say the darkness outside of us. I, it, you know, I'm not, a, I feel like it technically has to qualify as a romance because like it's a, the central character is between, the, the central relationship is between these two people. But like I've, spent some time thinking about it and I'm not even sure that it does qualify as a romance like there are romance elements to it but really the thing is like a survival in space story which is great I like I would recommend it for that reason but the reason why I think it's my softest woe is because I think I've come around to the idea that it's not really a romance the the darkness outside us is kind of unique amongst our list Mm -hmm. it's our only known to us non- woman author uh it's one of only three queer romances that we read this year including fan fiction and it's the only uh ya romance that we encountered this year which is interesting because that also feels not unlike mafia romance to be a pretty big piece of the pie nowadays so Mm -hmm. and it's our only sci-fi i think heart and mercy has some sci-fi elements but uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's our only true science fiction crossover. Mm-hmm. 
But boy, howdy, we read a lot of fantasy. Romanticy is as the new subgenre is called. And I'm like, it just like what are we? It's a Venn diagram. Like, what are we? Anyway. What was your hardest no? My hardest no is uh, mm, I mean, I'm gonna leave out Christmas masquerade and intimate sure. variation <laughs> from the consideration because that was just I mean, that's too easy. I guess my hardest no, because I know I have to answer my softest no. My hardest no is Jinxed by Tori Heat, uh, which is the the many, many boys, one girl <laughs> romance uh, that we read. Steamy romance that has to do with a haunted house, kind of. A cursed house. Not so much a haunted house. It just, like, felt... God. It was just, like, wobbly all over. But the sex actually wasn't that wobbly, which kind of sucks. It was pretty, pretty hetero. Like, I had to note it as a as a queer romance because kind of but it it really didn't go there it's it seemed much more subconsciously invested in heteronormativity than a lot of the other books we read which is remarkable because we read rose and winter by kathleen woodowis that's a good point ah god also jinx was so bad i i have i actually have a lot of hard nose on this one well not a lot but three because, like, yeah, absolutely, Jinx was terrible. And the fact that they, like, made such a big deal out of the middle trapped person being bisexual and then literally went nowhere with it, even with the steamy looks that, like, these guys were giving each other. I'm like, why why leave this on the table? Why? Like, you, you've set the pieces. I'm here for the meal. That felt mean, actually, now that I, now that I remember my feeling about it. It felt hurtful. It did feel hurtful. <laughs> Thank you for articulating that. Most ouchy no. That is like, I was so mad. I'm like, <laughs> I don't work me up and leave me like this. And it, also, you're not an edgelord. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't cut yourself on all this edge. Yeah. yeah. Fucking deliver. Mm. Deliver, yeah. Check out Cora Riley. That <laughs> delivered on its promises. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh so that's a that's a big hard no for me. Twisted Pride, I think, is probably my hardest no. It just truly isn't for me. And I like recognize that. And so like it was just, there were there was just too much for me to stumble over personally. Um so I like would have a hard time recommending it. Um just because I violence, despicable hero. Bad dad, bad brother, lots and lots of patriarchy, lots and lots of just, like, didn't like it. Pregnancy thing right there in the middle. Yeah, ownership, like, guy, not for me. Nope. Well, I suppose I should now ask you what your softest no was. Softest no is well met. I think our critique was really good. I think, you know, if you make yourself palatable to literally everyone, then you are for no one. Because, like, you know, beige wall. Millennial gray. <laughs> Millennial gray. Ugh. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I know that that book's really popular and it, it, like, has all the things that would make me like it. And I remembered liking it the first time I read it. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I get why people like it. I get why people like Millennial Grey. Yeah, sure. It goes with everything. It's just, there's too much of it now. Yeah. My softest snow is a re- extremely recently A Court of Frost and Starlight. 
I just really enjoy that series. I don't think I, I stand by the fact that you don't need to read it for the rest of the the one book that has come out since. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a feeling all of those pieces she said on the board are just for people to be like feel smart when they remember that it happened in Frost and Starlight uh, mm-hmm. but it could have been a woe if it had been just Nesta's part like a true if it had fully committed to being a novella and been mm-hmm. real short and real mm-hmm. focused mm-hmm. it was 272 pages long which is not a novella <laughs> no the aside from I mean the, it is by the like standards of the series yeah but the shortest novel we read was the Christmas Masquerade which was 53 pages long mm-hmm. but actually the time I got drunk and saved a demon would be the next runner up at 182 pages long and of mm-hmm. course A Court of Wings and Ruin was far and away the longest book we read at 703 pages nice and then second place, Wood of Wiss, of course, 576 pages. Does that make Sarah J. Moss an inheritor of one Kathleen Wood of Wiss? I guess in the way that we're all inheritors of Wood of Wiss, aren't we? I think so. I mean, we're all just, you know, living in the world she made. I think she's an inheritor, maybe like directly. I'm, I'm trying to think of how like length can be mm-hmm. an inherited trait. And I think it's by, um, I think both of them had exceedingly big dicks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because of that, get to write their own check and their own page count, you know? They know people will come and buy the book and read it start to finish, regardless of how long it is if they write it. Mm-hmm. I will say Wittowis, I think, could have benefited from writing shorter novels. A Rose in Winter being the rare exception. It is really good. Rose in Winter is kind of where I feel like she's at the mastery of all of her language and plotting and character. Flame in the Flower is a good example of something she could have used some help cutting pages down. (laughs) And likewise, Shanna, probably. (laughs) Yeah, Shanna, absolutely. Although I think like... Could have been three different books. (laughs) Absolutely could have been like deeply different I also wonder if she was, like, picking that one up and dropping it at, like, like, it feels so different that I wonder if she, like, that was a book that she returned to in, like, different seasons. Like, she didn't write it all at once. But we've talked about this before, like, and we talked about this on the episode of uh, Frost and Starlight, where it's, like, seems like Sarah J. Moss really needs a long runway, because, like, the more unspooling, like, the more the weird stuff finds purchase. Yes, finds purchase. I wonder if that might also be true for Wodowis. Like, she doesn't write anything less than 500 pages that we have access to. I've never seen a short story Wodowis. Correct me, listeners, if you have one. And I wonder if that's also part of it, where it's like, maybe she understood or just, like, gives herself the freedom to unspool as much as she wants because, like, why the hell not? Yeah, I think I think it's more because she wants. I don't think she actually needs that unspooling. I think her story, like Shanna gets more and more unwieldy as it goes on. And likewise, uh, Flame and the Flower. I think Rose in Winter, though, is an example where maybe she just like had a story that deserved to be that long and that she could hold that tension for because it's an enormous amount of tension in that text. It is, yeah. Might be her most tense, which is saying something considering what Flame and the Flower is dealing with and like Shanna for that matter. 
it's most tense for like the mains, the main characters. Which brings us to who are your favorite mains? My favorite main character, the greatest lovers mm-hmm. for me are going to be uh, from Loretta Chase's Lord of Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. That book has been is on every list and was kind of shocked we hadn't read it yet. I think both of us kept thinking like, oh, we have read this and discussed it. In fact, neither of us had ever read it nor discussed it. It's true. We'd actually read Mr. Impossible, which was also very good. Lord of Scoundrels, I thought was what a lot of Raylo fanfic is is connecting with. It has truly the Lord of Scoundrels. I watched um, (laughs) Two Towers today when Gandalf says, Lord of Horses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think, like, truly Sebastian is a... Is the, is the peak scoundrel um, in that he is transparently just in need of a hug. He is, it's all an act, and I love how Loretta Chase explores that. Mm-hmm. I think Loretta Chase is one of those authors who understands masculinity and its many different forms and its fragility. A lot of people talk about how, on Goodreads, how misogynistic the book is. Obviously, they haven't been through our back catalog Uh <laughs> think this is misogynistic but I think like she I think because she has empathy uh, for these kind of fucked up or goofy goobers um, and she's able to write it with kind of clarity and sincerity it makes them more worthwhile it reminds me of um, Prince of Midnight Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in that way a a truly vulnerable uh, pair of young people Uh, finding themselves through each other. I think that's exactly right. I think that's a perfect comparison for this guy. It was a really dark prologue. Extremely dark. Baroque. Baroque. It was his perspective. It was like his memory of his life. And he thinks he's the Phantom of the Opera. So it kind of makes sense that it unfurls that way. Um, Into a bit of a lighthearted romp. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when it's when all so, is said and done. When the aperture is broadened. How about you? Who did you like best? I loved Heart and Mercy. Yeah. I was so enchanted with both of them. Um, his sort of Clint Eastwoody, like, doesn't talk to anybody, like, carrying around his own deep, dark trauma, I think, like, of a part to Loretta Chase and uh, Laura Kinsale in that, like, we understand his vulnerability, we understand what he's going through, and he, like, becomes more alive through his letters, but also through the work of becoming a mentor for this young person who wants to be a ranger in the veil between worlds. And I always love that, where it's like the the stodgy older person has to like come out of their shell for like the young, eager, like Luke Skywalker. I'm here for that. And, like, Mercy was amazing. She was, like, confident, but also, like, it, like, loved her job, but wasn't confident enough to tell her dad, who she loved so much, that she wanted the business. Like, it felt, both the characters felt so real, and the things that they were going through were so real to them, and that their love story wasn't going to save either of them, but just make them better and highlight their strengths for each other. And just like having that outside perspective that helps like shine a light on what you do best is like such a pleasant thing to experience. 
Um, and I just loved both of them. Laura Kinsale is a great comparison because I think what Heart and Mercy as, does so well with Heart and Mercy is using the like inherent plottiness of romance, um, but using it in a way that adds depth and texture to characters' internalities um, and who they are and their psyche, uh, while still <laughs> um, you just sent up balloons in your Zoom. it's like why do we need emojis it's like we're not living in this world anymore zoom stop giving us weird updates (laughs) i think that's right i think laura kinsale is a great comparison i would also say kind of talking about the characters of heart and mercy definitely the best audiobook romance audiobook performance i've ever had the pleasure of listening to um, the readers on the audiobook of Heart and Mercy, I highly recommend visiting it that way. They're definitely doing voices, but in a very nice way. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> really aided in the immersion. So what was your sexiest in 2023? Rose in Winter by Kathleen yep. Woodowis, uh, with our our masked uh, our masked man and our bubble bath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was definitely my sexiest part in 2023. Uh, kind of sucks that it happened so early and the rest of the year was just downhill. Um, <laughs> unfulfilled bathtub promises, as in jinxed. Um, but yeah, it was definitely Kathleen Woodowis's sexiest book that we've read, that I've read personally. And I think that's significant because her other books are so like inherently unsexy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting <laughs> to see like, oh, she, she can land it. Uh, one of like one of our earliest texts that we talked about was Shanna, wherein Woodowis described an orgasm as a holocaust of emotion, uh, which is shocking and impossible to recover from. Um, but this book, she really focuses on, she just in general narrows down on literally talking about what's what's happening mm-hmm. so gloved shoulder touches etc and then she also keeps that romantic tension between the rapscallion lord and our main character yeah it's great what was your sexiest well you just stole rose and winter which is a truly sexy book from beginning to end <laughs> yeah. but in the in wanting to be different um <laughs> To have and to hold. Yeah, I thought for sure you would choose to have and to hold. Surprisingly sexy. The reason why, like, Rose and Winter is just, like, I could enjoy a Rose's Winter, a Rose and Winter sexiness all the way through without, like, having to examine too much of myself. Whereas, like, the first <laughs> two sex scenes in To Have and to Hold mm. are deeply dark and weird challenging and challenging challenging and like the opportunity to investigate myself and my own titillation wasn't one that I was necessarily looking for and it just came up on me like that and I just had to like investigate self uh it is a profoundly sexy book um even in its worst and hardest parts it remains sexy which i think is such a feat of writing which is why i immediately one clicked the second one because like we were in the hands of a master maybe not unlike 
Robin Schoen and the what's the weird I never remember the title of this one it's the with the body switching and they have sex on that horse do you remember uh, the Robin yes Schoen? Awaken My Love Awaken My Love I would put Awaken My Love and To Have and To Hold in the same kind of category where it's like how interesting is the thing that you are describing sexy titillating and how is it having this effect on me what does that say about me what is really what it says is is about you and you're an excellent writer. <laughs> this right. isn't about Just take me. it completely off your own shoulders. <laughs> Don't interrogate any further. Yeah, this isn't a show about interrogation. No, <laughs> certainly not self-interrogation. No. I think congratulations, good job. You absolved yep. yourself completely. Thank you. 2023 <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, We both mentioned historical romances as our sexiest books. And of the 19 books we've read this year, seven were historical. Does that feel right? Uh, That feels light to me for us. That feels very light to me for us. That's weird. I wouldn't have anticipated that, especially since all the historicals loom really large. Like we haven't talked about Lady of the West yet. We haven't talked about Lisa Claypus yet. Yeah. Like Dreaming of You, like. That probably says something. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I think like, but the historicals that we did read that like stuck with us really stuck with us. Yeah. We read six contemporaries and then, or seven contemporaries actually, and five fantasies. I mean, that's a pretty even split considering. Weirdest in 2023. Weirdest part. There's still some kind of stickiness around the deal by L. Kennedy Mm. that I haven't been able to, like, clarify in a satisfying way. And I think I was honestly pretty like, oh, it's good. And then you said something about how, like, these characters are going to go on to, (laughs) like, this feels like borderline conservative. Mm hmm. Which is wild to say on a podcast about romance novels. None of these are actually borderline conservative. They're all. (laughs) It seemed to have like a politic about it around Mm -hmm. the edges, a fuzzy politic around the edges that feels really strange and also feels distinctly of its time, which is 2015. And yeah, and I think that's something I didn't reckon with much on the episode because I hadn't really tapped into it until you said something, but it's something I've thought about as I've been reading the books for the rest of the year after discussing that one. Also, the conversation around the darkness outside us has stuck with me. My weirdest part there. That might be weird. I don't know. They're both pretty weird. (laughs) I feel like this was a year of big weird, uh, weirdest parts. I think so too, and sometimes the weirds were really external, like the po- like the politics of the book. Because like, I don't, I can't speak for L. Kennedy, but it doesn't doesn't seem to me like her hockey series has like a political project in the same way that other authors are truly working on a yeah, political project. Yeah, exactly. Like her ideology or the ideology of that author feels pretty subconscious, but like. It's like a sandwich when you push down too hard and the mustard gets out. It's like when you see someone in a certain outfit. Yep. Yep. And you're like, and you're like, oh, oh, could we yeah. be friends? Why are you at this rally? Like, right? Yeah. It's like uh, it's definitely like that. Um, and judgmental. That's kinda, <laughs> sure, but like, yeah. Uh, I felt that the same kind of weirdness externally to dreaming of you. Where, like, there's such 
a conversation in Romance Landia about those characters and this whole thing like he would never and they're like lists about this hero about like all the things how is he the most interesting how has he become the fulcrum of classic historic romance he's he's not that interesting like he's every not that interesting he doesn't don a mask and an alter ego to seduce someone else and then catch the murderers and arsonists of his family like that's fucking crazy he's he also not like pretend gloomy vicious lord of scoundrels sebastian and he's not pretend cattle hand of lady of the west who's like also trying to regain his like house and murder people further i feel like there's very little Derek craven or like shades of craven that are celebrated in revisited in romance or celebrated in popular culture in general i don't see fan cuts that are evocative to me of Derek craven for example i think the most interesting thing about Derek craven is his last name and the weird cult of personality that has built itself around clapus and him as the avatar, which I like, I again, when I read that book, I was expecting something entirely different in terms of that main character. And then I like couldn't figure it out. And then I felt stupid. And I was like, am I reading the right book? Well, I think this kind of goes back to our discussion about to have and to have and to hold or to have and have not to have and to hold by Patricia Gaffney. Wherein, you know, enjoying that book requires a lot of self-interrogation and certainly wouldn't want to bring it to the table in the wrong circles. Yeah. Because you might just get flattened, attacked, undermined, whereas Derek Craven's a pretty easy one. Like, we're probably the only three people who'd be like, oh, so you're like, I would never say that to someone, but I'd be like, oh, that's boring, you know? Like, that's kind of the worst thing you can say about him. But it's also, like, but I feel like in romance, like, that is, like, that's cutting, right? Like, that's a that's a not, if you're not memorable, that's not good, right? And I think, like, the thing about, I think you're hitting on something really clever there where you're, like, you're right, I wouldn't want to bring To Have and To Hold as, like, my favorite book to book club, even if it was a romance book club, because you are made vulnerable by liking a hard book. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Frickin' dreaming of you asks nothing of you. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And Lisa Kleypas in general, until she wrote Devil in Winter, she didn't really push push the push edges. Yeah. Except in her uh holiday short stories for some reason. Which get wild. Or I guess her I've heard her theater series is also pretty fucked up. I can see that. Haven't read it. Tessa, Tessa Dare would be another one. Mm-hmm. Unoffensive. Inoffensive. Mm-hmm. Not millennial gray, Mm-mm. but... And you know what? It's it, it's okay that it exists. It just sucks because whenever we center those texts, people do have a legitimate argument that romance doesn't have depth and breadth. Whereas I think Rose and Winter or The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy... Those are all Lord of Scoundrels, even. Those are all books that I think can stand up next to all genre classics, you know? I agree. 
All right. What are the things that you want to leave behind? I think we've we've pretty much settled on what we want to leave behind in 2023. I would specifically, my out, my biggest romance out for 2023, and this might be the same thing I said last year, but it's the centering of consumerism in romance. And that includes lists of books to buy, reviews that aren't reviews, conversations that are just lists of books that you've read, uh, that makes other people feel this pressure to consume more books, like 100 books a year. And also the argument that like romance is important because it makes so much money for publishing. Like, let's just leave that argument behind. Let's try and decenter consumerism in romance. That's out. That's a good one. And it does build on yours from last year, which was stop crossing picket lines. I think that's like <laughs> yeah. the move. Uh, I think that's a good one, right? Like libraries exist, uh, friend networks exist. Like there's plenty of ways to consume. You can also, you know, talk about these books without, you know, fully endorsing purchasing them. Yeah. Like, or reading them at all, you know? You don't have to add to people's TBRs. Mm-mm. If it's anything like mine, it's long enough. Yeah, and like adding to a TBR is such an unhelpful kind of, it's not even critique. It is not critique. (laughs) It feels like it's passing for critique. I think you're right. I think that's absolutely true that like these lists, in absence of any other context, in absence of anything else, do function as critique because then the critique is like what's left off. It's like, these are the things you should buy with your limited resources under the end stage capitalism network that we live under. These are the 10 that are worth your resources. Everything else isn't, is essentially what critique has boiled down to in some circles of Romance Landia conversation. I think that's what critique was when we first started this project. I feel like it's gotten even loosier, goosier. I think there is this sentiment that people who publish romance novels, however they go about it, are somehow entitled to having people buy them. And so I think books get included on lists just to include them. And we see, and it's almost like a stress test almost, the amount of content getting pushed out. And I know every genre does this, like... Every five minutes on TikTok, I'm, like, getting people telling me to read Bunny by Mona Wad and, like, the same five books over and over again. Um, horror is the same way. Like, these are the most disturbing books you can read, right? And romance says, like, these are the, <laughs> the spiciest books you can read. And they just list off a bunch of books. And they're usually wrong, first of all. Um, it's so subjective And I think the more interesting conversation is about that subjectivity um, and sharing that with one another because romance is so incredibly personal. Um, Anyways, yeah, stop, stop making lists of just listing books. Stop just listing books. Stop talking about how much money romance makes. Yeah, I think. And if you are going to talk about how much money romance makes. Um, I want to know about the weird shit Colin, Colleen Hoover is buying with that money. Mm-hmm. That was one of your <laughs> wishes for 2023. You wanted more uh, transparency with 
the romance writers and their earnings, but you specifically wanted transparent eccentricity. Colleen Hoover posting those numbers and then walking the Jaguar out of her car. Everyone should be... Like Judith McNaught. Exactly. That's what you wanted for 2023. I don't think we got that. I just feel like if you're going to be a billionaire, why not be eccentric or a millionaire? Why not? First of all, like, there is no ethical way to do that. Second of all, if you're going to do it, at least be whimsically eccentric instead of destructively eccentric, a la Elon Musk. What about you? What's your what's out in 2020? Your hope is out for 2024. I know that this is a wish. So I'm just going to put it out there. Oh. I want the algorithm or people who use the algorithm to not lie. I was so mad about the Pemberley masquerade. Like because it's you know it's like everything about that title suggests spice and there wasn't even a sex scene like what the fuck don't do that and i think like it just like exacerbates the problem that already exists with the covers it exacerbates the problem with the lack of critique it exacerbates the like i just it's i listen I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm hanging on every word. I have limited resources. And the more fucking Jenga blocks we pull out of my ability to correctly articulate what this book is going to deliver, the worse it is for me as a reader, as a consumer, as a critic, as just a person in the genre. Like, I I don't like that at all and i i would much prefer the algorithm to deliver extremely tailored niche recommendations based on my unique user profile than for someone to like unlock the algorithm and be like you know what isabel likes i'm not going to deliver any of that but i'm just going to put it in the keyword search and then i'll get her anyway it's like that's mean don't be mean don't be mean to isabel (laughs) i think I think what, like, I want to be like, hey, be honest with your marketing. And uh, yeah, because there there is a level of saying this book is this and then it's not. That is not even, it fails any sort of objectivity test. Right. Like, it's inherently not that thing. Um, but there is also a certain level where, like, we were talking about subjectivity. So many people are reviewing things and saying they're spicy, but that is very relative. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe in lieu of being honest, uh, at least, uh, you know, maybe don't strive for honesty so much as striving for specificity. Specificity is great. Yeah. Be really specific. When you're talking about, yeah, when you're talking about romance. We could probably stand to be more specific, honestly. Sure. And so, like, the, the to be actionable in our own specificity. Specificity. <laughs> specificity in this moment the difference between pemberley christmas masquerade a like what was the an intimate variation versus the time i got drunk the time i got drunk and saved a demon and the cover of that is very sweet right like nothing jumps out to me there uh her shirt's fallen a little bit off her shoulder He's looking at her very longingly in, like, his, like, Kylo Ren face. But, like, Mm -hmm. 
the title specificity is similar in both. One delivers, one just farted in my face. I would prefer my specificity to deliver. Listen, I, I don't think titles are a place where we should be. No, I agree. Trying to put the whole nope. dang thing I don't also. Want the, I would say that's out that's, for 2024. Sure, absolutely. The, you know, the time I got drunk and saved a demon could have a much better snappier title if it wanted it was i thought it was okay but like christmas masquerade a pride and prejudice a pride and prejudice intimate variation lillian lark's doing a lot she did the love latch love laugh lich she's done a bunch of others like entranced by the basilisk which is quite good uh we didn't read it for the uh, podcast but can confirm i liked it one of the five extra books you've read Mm -hmm. it was and it was truly spicy. There are two basilisks and one human girl. Um. <laughs> I, I think like when you're talking about your summary or if you're going to say, if you're going to talk about someone else's book, because isn't that more so our job? I don't know. Who's responsible for preparing people for the content of books? That's a great question. I think... There are multiple levels, and I think the part that makes me upset about books like Pride and Prejudice, A Masquerade, Christmas, an intimate variation is like there there were no other spaces for me to get the information that I needed, and so what I had to rely on was the subtitle, and the subtitle was functioning in a way that like I understand that language to mean a certain thing. And so then to use that language in a way that it's not meant or like to take it out of the like known usage felt nakedly materialistic, like to get clicks and buys, which it did. It accomplished its task. It tricked us. (laughs) It tricked us. And I don't like that. I don't I don't need that, man. Life is tricky enough. 2024 is going to be really difficult i think this is this is one of those problems of the lawlessness that arises around self-publishing whereas like romance used to have pretty objective standards and you knew like if you got a certain imprint or a certain author or you saw a certain cover you knew what you were getting right like debbie maycomer you're getting a sweet Mm -hmm. romance yeah kathleen woodowist you're gonna get a bodice ripping historical um, candlelit ecstasy you're gonna get a sexy older professional woman story like it, it used to there there used to be an editor and a publisher who were responsible for I mean to a certain extent making sure those books adhered on the it, during creation but also during promotion made sure that people were getting what they wanted so that they would come back and buy more and there doesn't seem to be that same kind of like need for quality control but then everyone gets mad when you like don't positively review their book and it's like well someone needs to be doing quality control if you're self-publishing that's got to be on you right but also publishers Berkeley especially are just doing the same thing that Christmas Masquerade did, which is like intentionally obfuscating the content so as to garner more sales because it's basically a projector screen for whatever someone once hopes the romance novel is. They're like, oh, I want to read this. So because 
it's given me just enough non-information for me to feel like (laughs) it could be what I want. Yeah, and I think that's right. Where I think 2023 did this in other spaces too, where it's like Berkeley's made this move, and it wasn't just in 2023. It started earlier where it's like it's a contemporary rom-com. And it's like rom-com as a literature term, I think, is like because it's borrowing very distinctly and specifically from film rom-coms and a very specific kind of rom-com out of the mid-90s, early aughts. And the thing that sparked this for me is like the Julia Roberts, George Clooney Ticket to Paradise, which was heralded as the return of the rom-com. Yeah. Did you see this? People can just say shit. People can say anything they want. Right. But it's like, it's barely a rom-com. It's a comedy, but like, it's a second chance romance if you're squinting. Um, There's like one kiss in the whole thing. And I'm like, this is not, this isn't even a rom-com by like Hugh Grant standards. Like, what are we... Like, how is this rescuing the genre of the film? And now an entire book publishing house is borrowing the term. And if it's like George Clooney and Julia Roberts are rescuing the film, who's rescuing the the book genre? I'm afraid Um. this is like a false scarcity moment where because I feel like Mm. everyone's been like the death of the rom-com for the last Mm -hmm. like three years. And it feels like it's just a marketing ploy, like that Billy Eichner movie came out that was a rom-com that was supposed to save and reinvent the genre. It just feels like it's so much marketing gobbledygook. I think that's right. And it's like, it's all gobbledygook. And like without a pipeline and like a series of other, you know, holding each other mutually responsible for like what's coming out. But like, how can we do that now in the age of self-publishing like that I think like that's a question I'd like to ponder there used to be this thing where like you could sell things to a specific audience and now it feels like you just have to be so fucking broad Mm-hmm. that's very frustrating I agree that's out what are things that you would like to see us do as a podcast or as a genre in 2024 well what did we try to what did we set out to do last year more queer, more authors, own voices. I think this year we were really uh, tender with ourselves. And it was a, it was an exceedingly difficult de- difficult year outside of the world of this show, outside of romance novels. This was an exceedingly difficult year. And I think we were really tender and with ourselves, meaning we just kind of read what we felt like reading it's interesting because it's weird what we felt like reading (laughs) looking at the list but I think we kind of followed that and I'm I am disappointed that we didn't read more queer romance we didn't read more own voices own voices is a little hard to track I guess Mm -hmm. a lot of these were white women writing about white women Mm -hmm. (laughs) we want to try and fudge the numbers on that but you know I I think what I would like to do in the new year is uh, really push it. I think we had some great conversations, but I think I would like to be a little bit bolder in our choices and also bolder, braver with what I bring to the conversation. More confrontation (laughs) in 2024. You're a Libra, so it's your year of villain. Your year of villainy continues, I think. 
I had more no's than you this year. So I know your year of vil- villainy, I think, is going to continue on until like end of summer or something like that. I don't know if I want more confrontation on the podcast. I'm just anticipating a lot of confrontation this year. I think it sucks that this place, uh, arguably the coolest place to do it, is getting none of it. That's true. You're right. <laughs> more confrontation. More confrontation. Which, it's not like I'm saying we shouldn't confront each other, although that would be part of it. But generally, I think we should be more confrontational and direct about the content. The the things we, the patterns we see happening. I feel like this is the most direct we've been in a while. Mm-hmm. What what do you want to do more? I want to do what we what I wanted to do last year, which we didn't we did a little bit of, but I would like to get to the weird stuff more of it. Like I want more flesh in the devil. I want more Playboy. The magazine had a romance imprint. I would like to read some of those. Um, I would like to get into the weird shit. That's we definitely uh, to be fair, read a lot of self-published. We, we took a lot of chances. We did. Yeah, you can see that we had that in mind when we started with Kathleen Woodowis last Absolutely. Year. But I think I think this is one of the mo- more varied reading lists we've sure, had. Sure, with Twisted Pride and then that time I got drunk with a demon. I mean, Darkness Outside of Us was a swing too. I think what like what this year really shows me is that like you and I were swinging and the way that we were swinging was with titles and like back of the books and then like they just delivered some pretty prosaic texts (laughs) yeah I think that's true I think you're right like so I think we've got to so you're saying like we got to take contextual swings we but like I think that like that's like (laughs) if there's a theme for this episode it's like how like the question then becomes like how do we do that work when the mechanisms of checking aren't as surefire as they were even 10 years ago? Like, how do we go about that? And, like, maybe that means that we, like, poll all of you listeners and see if you know um, and, like, do a little bit of work before we settle in to read or read more reviews. But since reviews are, like, fucking gobbledygook anyway, it's, like, that's not even a surefire thing. It's, like... Except for ours. Our, ours are guaranteed. It's because we're confrontational. We're confronting the text. We're confronting ideologies. We're confronting each other. Listen, we deliver on the promise. It's romance. It's ourselves. I'm not a liar. <laughs> They're liars. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think we're going to have to seek out some other way. If we're going to get weird, I think you're right. You know, I can see early on, right, fan fiction, Kathleen Woodowis self-pub and you know we did we took some swings and everything ended up being pretty you know we should we should probably take some responsibility for that for the circles we get recommendations in and things like that but like I think you're right I think the way we're gonna find the interesting stuff is by looking at the context around it Mm -hmm. the where the wherefore the whys i think but like even then it's like it's gonna be how do we train our our critical brains to see better because like with the Derek craven stuff this new landscape like but even in this non like people freak the fuck out about dreaming of you and they're like it's so dark it's so intense and i was like by what standard 
Well, there's that other thing where like people find what they like in this genre and they kind of stick with it. And if you find what you like and you stick with it, which you're entitled to do, right? Like, why would you read anything darker than Dreaming of You if you love Dreaming of You? But I feel like you would accidentally with Claypus right? find yourself. Claypus gets fucking weird. And like with the raspberries right? like this isn't this is not her weirdest book i don't understand i like no. don't no. get it but yeah i think i think we talked about this i feel like Derek craven was a kind of a checkered flag starting point for this like flattening that we are struggling with but maybe it's just mom brain maybe it's just covid brain mm, brain fog this is, this is so obvious to everyone else but us could be <laughs> Could be. I think it helps also that we have Pride and Prejudice interspersing here. I think it maybe we would have noticed this pattern sooner if we didn't have the joyous delight of Austin. <laughs> we could have been like, wait, wait a, second. a second. Are we getting fooled all the time? Yeah, I think like if we didn't do that, like that would have. Interesting theory. Because there's. Because there's time in between, which gives me a reset. So then I'm like, uh, I think it was hard for me to see patterns because of Jane Austen. Again, I'm not taking... Yeah, it's Jane Austen's I'm not fault. taking any responsibility for this, is what I'm saying. I'm a victim of circumstance. <laughs> is if I was choosing to not confront herself. <laughs> um, yep, that's right. 2024. Um, yeah. One thing I will say, I felt like The Astronaut and the Star by Jen Comfort was a revelation mm. uh, as far as rom-coms mm-hmm. go. I thought it was a really good one. And I just want to say that because it didn't really like hit any of our superlatives, mm. but I wanted to give it a shout That's out. That's nice. I would watch that movie. I think Glenn Powell would be... You know, Glenn Powell? He's in, he, in all the, He's got the very punchable blonde face. He's been in a bunch of stuff lately. Glenn Powell. We fan casted him as uh, Samantha's super hot boyfriend from Sex and the City, and I thought that was great fan casting. But like that person is now too old to play that character. So. Oh yeah. So now Glenn Powell, who's in that movie with Sydney Sweeney, that's not good. I haven't seen it, but he has a beautiful punchable face. You think he's beautiful in a very punchable way? Like I see him, and I see only a fraternity behind him, and I like, and he's like, people keep casting him as the hero, which I feel is very strange. Real, uh, real, real window into your psyche in this moment. <laughs> a lot to unpack with that, like just whipped out Glenn Powell. <laughs> I was like, he's like, that's saying he has a beautiful, bunchable face. Does. Like, okay, okay. Does he not? I thought that was just an objective. I truth. mean, if he was ordering coffee in front of me in, in my coffee shop, I would get nervous. <laughs> because why? <laughs> because he looks like um, like he shouldn't be like. He looks like he's one of those guys who's going to be like, who makes a big deal about his wife's order and it's just like an iced latte. And then he's like, I'll just take a black coffee, just a black coffee. And then he's going to complain about how much it costs. Mm-hmm. He's not going to tip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A very punchable face. Not all you said. 
beautiful faces can be punchable, but like he definitely like his face has the attitude that you're describing. Like he only drives like he's the type of person that says that I only drive American. And it's like, okay, but like part most of the parts that are like important to your car were assembled somewhere else now. So like they weren't okay, but like that's not how cars work. Okay, cool. Um that's like the feeling I get from him. And the fact that like people just keep trying to cast him as the leading man is very strange to me. Anyway, you're right. Window into my psyche. Okay, because I liked the guy. I like the star in the astronaut and the star. He was a goofy goober, which you love. You love the goofy goobs. I love a goofy goober, but I'm never nervous when they're in front of me in my coffee shop. Because they're not assholes, the goofy goobs. What, I think this is the first time we've done a year in review and I'm kind of in like, how? Oh. <laughs> we weren't too I feel like we had a lot of great conversations, but I also feel like the actual content we consumed wasn't wasn't I don't know, I guess I'm disappointed by it in a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. I think we were tender with ourselves, but I think more to the point, like what this says to me in retrospect, because I also remember this year as a year of really good conversations. I think this year is a growing year for both of us in the genre and in our thinking and in our critiquing. And I think like... A rebuilding year. Yeah. I think that might be what this was. And that like we honed a couple of skills and like our our thinking. That's useful. It means that the conversations that we're going to have in 2024 are going to be even better. We're going to be sharper. More to the point. The books we choose are going to be deeper cuts all around. Thicker bindings. (laughs) Thick boys. (laughs) Thicker bindings, deeper cuts, 2024. Let's go. Uh, With that, loosen your woes. But never your nassos. Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.